Okay, now last week we started talking about endings, and this week we're going to continue with the endings, but we're going to focus now on the four Gospels. And I'm starting with Mark because it's the shortest. Plus, it's my favorite. And uh, this is the only Gospel I know anything about. Um, Just teasing. So, uh, just to remember, now, uh, T.S. Eliot's quote right here is pretty nice. Uh, the end precedes the beginning, and the end and the beginning were always there before the beginning and after the end. Crystal clear, right? Uh, we will find out how that makes sense, actually, according to the Gospel of Mark, by the end of our, our study. Um, just a reminder, though, the Bible is filled with all sorts of... I didn't have enough time to edit this, so I just printed it out. I'll, I'll do my best to not read it. But we found out last week is that the Bible is filled with all sorts of endings. I mean, we looked at Jonah, which is kind of strange, and then we just kind of thought about all the rest of them. And we we kind of came to the you know to the to the realization that as the Bible provides hope, it's not necessarily in an event, but it's always in a in a person or a community in a relationship. So. Um, and that was good for us because as our own kind of understanding of how stories end, that always influences how we read the Bible. So stories should always end happily ever after. The boy gets the girl. The underdog wins the, the big championship game. And what we find out in Scripture is that those things actually don't happen. But yet, even in that circumstance, there still can be a, a, a moment of hope. And that's because Jesus is with us. I mean, God's with us. Emmanuel. Um, and, and one of the benefits of that is that it, the Bible is very realistic. It's not a fantasy story, but it's a story that actually engages real life as we have lived it. So then as we read this and as we read it in a way that is realistic, rather than imposing our own kind of uh, categories in terms of how stories should end, then we realize that the Bible actually has something to say to us who are living in these kind of circumstances. The circumstances that find out, like in the Old Testament, Jonah. At the end of Jonah, we don't know exactly if he's still mad at God. If he's come around, all we know is that Nineveh repented, plants died, and Jonah's just sitting there basking in the sun. Then from the prophets, too, we also know that Israel is still not in the Promised Land. They're still exiled. Even in reading the Pentateuch, we realize that the story never is finished. It always keeps rolling on to the next thing. And that's how most of our lives are. Oftentimes we see ourselves on the outside looking in, wanting to be a part of what we perceive as the better story. We often find ourselves, too, without any kind of conclusion, but yet realizing that we still have to keep moving on. And, and then find time, sometimes, you know, we, we come to a conclusion or to an ending and we realize all we have is hope. There's, there's actually nothing right now that's kind of hopeful or exciting or encouraging, but we know... We believe, I should say, not to get on a tangent, but when I say no, I should say believe. So if I keep on saying no, that's a mistake. Um, but we believe that at, at some point in the future, hope will become tangible. But how we get into that is through relationships. Because one thing through all, all of the Old Testament is that there is a community. There's people. And then when we see in the New Testament, there's always Jesus present. Did anybody, uh, by chance, happen to watch the ending of Little Miss Sunshine in between this last week? Carol Hydorn. Okay. I actually, I actually rented it from the library, thinking that I was going to show it to you today, but I decided not to because I didn't want to offend anybody. There is, I, I forgot. Uh, I have a tendency to forget. It's still a great ending. It's still exactly what I, I said it was. However, there's, you know, there's a few strange scenarios. So without ever seeing it, and that being your only clip, you might think I'm a little 
off. <laughs> so if you do have a chance, though, please do check it out because I love the ending. It's, it's fantastic. So, but that, that actually goes to the heart of what we're talking about in a more normal storyline, I guess, experience. So we're going to take a look at Mark. So turn to Mark chapter 16. A few things about Mark, though, as we come to this conclusion or this ending. First of all, Mark, as it's written in Greek, is very difficult to read. You literally have to struggle against reading it. It's not written well. I mean, and we'll find out a prime example is the last sentence of the entire book. Um, then also, in terms of characters, the disciples are always wrong, to a T. The 12 disciples never get it right throughout the gospel. Never. While minor characters, most especially women, always get it right. So I'm assuming that should be good for you to hear. Yes. Not every woman in the gospel, but women are are very important in the gospel, Mark, in terms of uh, real discipleship. Um, So, yeah, so as we take a look at the 12... And then also just the minor characters and the reaction to Jesus and what he does and what he says. It ranges from amazement, like shock, actually terror. You could actually put terror in there. That could be some of the words could be translated as like, like, yeah, like they're at the haunted house, scared, um, afraid, and then just just plain confused. The reason why I say that is because as we read the ending of the gospel, you know, I just want to make sure that you realize when we come to the ending, some of us might have forgotten the rest of the story. And and then last but not least, Jesus throughout the gospel is always telling people to be quiet. Don't tell anybody what's happened to you. And now at the ending, we have the exact opposite. So we'll see if, the problem is is that even though Jesus tells people not to say anything, they actually do say something. So the strange thing is, is now that Jesus says, do say something. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I always just, you know, I know you've heard this before, Kirby, but Jesus says what he means. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I just never, I just can't imagine that. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Well, uh, actually, it, actually, let's yeah. This since you've asked this, it actually goes with your ability to actually understand. So he's telling you to be quiet, not because he's really worried about it, because frankly, you don't know what you're talking about. So, you actually don't... Now, I mean that in the terms of, like, what is happening is quite amazing. It's outside the realm of human experience up to this point. So, there is a a horizon of knowledge, right? We're looking at the sun setting, or sun rising, I guess that would be the better analogy. And what Jesus is talking about is over on the, the end of the horizon. We have to wait for that to actually come up in order for us to actually speak about it in a way that, that makes sense, not only to other people, but first to us. Um, and we actually see that at the ending. So uh, let's just take a look at the ending real quick. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just read the first eight verses. This was our Easter text this last Easter, year B, we're in the second year. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, 
dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. They were uh, astonished, scared, frightful. And he said to them, do not be afraid or alarmed or astonished or scared. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Period. Now, in your Bibles, it says, if it's like mine, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 10. I don't want to get into a discussion about all that, but I actually think the story should end at verse 8. It makes sense if you look at the entire gospel. It makes sense in writing style. So, like, imagine uh, I'm writing you a letter in my penmanship, and then at the end, someone else writes, you know, something else, or P.S. or something. You obviously will know that there's a difference in handwriting. This is actually in the earliest manuscripts. If you look at the, uh, and when you're looking at the original languages, there's a certain style going on, and then when you get to actually 9 through 20, it's, it's very different. So, I don't actually deny that it's still the Bible, by the way. It's just, I just think that the story should have ended at verse 8. And what I think this actually tells us is that people from the beginning of Christianity have always struggled with endings. Okay? So, I just want to leave it at that. Small catechism quotes Mark 16, 16, so we're Lutherans, so we got to believe it. So, But I think this is just a P.S. at the end. Now, what's interesting, though, as far as the last sentence, is that, well, if it did, you know, like I said, I believe it ends there. That ending is very spirit, it's very kind of strange ending. We, uh, we have a, a stone that's very large. We have no idea how it got rolled away. So that's over the horizon of our knowledge. We also don't know who this guy is. This is some nameless man, young man. Um, it's not an angel. Don't force an angel on the young man. It's just a man. Um, and, and who's missing in the resurrection? Jesus. <laughs> so... We actually don't have anybody seeing Jesus except for this strange man who we have no idea. And then on top of that, the witnesses are the ones who are supposed to go tell our people who, who are, are women who are afraid, scared. Um, and, and on top of that, what's interesting, and this is a little cultural reference, back in the old days, witnesses, you had to have two men be witnesses. So... Even if the women, I know it's terrible, but even if the women had something to say, it wouldn't hold up in court. So this is hardly the evidence that we are looking for when it comes to faith and hope and uh, circumstance. But on the flip side, how many people have seen the risen Jesus in this room bodily? Uh, that's good. I'm glad that no one has raised their hand. Um, so we already have a point of contact with, these, with this story. Maybe it's not as strange as we first think it is. On top of that, too, though, is the language itself. It actually ends with an incomplete sentence. We have here, for they were afraid. In the Greek, it ends with the four. It is, it's literally... Almost like Mark was just writing a letter. His wife said, hey, Mark, can you help me with the dishes here real quick? (laughs) Sure, honey. Got up from his typewriter, did his dishes, and then somehow just never got back to finishing the story. So the the ending literally ends in the middle of a sentence. He, He writes a sentence that needs to be finished. That's brilliant, I think. So, so the question, though, is, is that as we, as we wrestle with this, 
we have to think about where exactly is the ending. Okay? I don't want to rush to it, Carol. So we've got to take our time getting to it. So, um, you remember how Jonah ended, right? Jonah ended this very kind of strange way. This should remind us of, of Jonah and the way it ends. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, oh, so, okay, so the question is now, has this happened before? Obviously, it happened before in Jonah. But the reaction of the story to Jesus, um, the women are afraid. Now, the word astonished, we might think in terms of, like, going to a, uh, you know, a Broadway show or going to Branson and seeing, uh, you know, an illusionist. And we're like, oh, man, I can't believe that. This is amazing. I'm, I'm astonished that that could happen. That, that's the wrong character to the word astonished when we look at this text. Because this is uh, astonished to the point that we are in disbelief. Now, colloquially speaking, we often say, oh, I can't believe that happened. In this moment, it's literal. They're astonished to the point like they can't believe it happened. Meaning, it is disbelief. They, They can't believe it. And so, but has that happened before in Scripture, where you have something amazing, even someone rising from the dead, and people just simply can't believe it, because it is too amazing? It actually happens, and I don't want to rush to the New Testament, but we're going to start back in Genesis. There is a couple spots, even in Genesis, where um, first Sarah, this is a very peculiar, interesting thing, is where the three angels in the Oaks of Mamre, the uh, three, well, the Lord shows up, three people, one Lord show up and say, Sarah's going to have a baby. And she laughs. Does anybody know why she laughs? Test you. Confirmation test. She's, she's amazed. She's astonished. And what's great is in the Greek Septuagint, guess, guess how it, it ends with the four. It's almost like verbatim how the end of Mark ends. Now, I don't think that's intentional. Well, it could be. I I doubt it, though. But the whole point is that you have this amazing news of something over the the horizon of our our experience and knowledge that God actually brings forth, and people can't believe it. Then also, Joseph and his brothers. When Joseph reveals himself, that is a death and resurrection moment. Because Joseph, Joseph has come back from the dead when he makes this announcement. And does anyone remember how the, his brothers act? Fear and trembling. It's, it's exactly like the women trembling in, uh, in Mark chapter 16. So what we have here is, is that in Mark 16, we have echoes of what's happened already. It's something that's extraordinary. And that as we come to the resurrection, as we come to an empty tomb, what we find out is that our, how we connect with those first witnesses is humility and a place of actually disbelief. Very peculiar. Because on Easter morning, we're all rushed to get to Easter. I mean, we're all, on Good Friday, we're just, we can't wait for Easter. We want to rush into Easter. And what happens, though, is if we rush into the ending, we actually impose our own story on top of it. And we make Jesus fit into our image. And that is very hard, because as we come to situations where we really want a nice, neat ending, I'm not saying in story form, but in our own life, We rush right to it. And sometimes when we do that, we think we're going to make everything better. But we're actually changing the story itself. And to a certain extent, that's why I think Mark 16, 9 through 20 is just, I think it's someone that's attempt to rush to the story, the end of the story. And they actually change the character.
So, you know, hopefully you can start applying that to your own life and circumstances where we want things just to be back to where, where it was. We want everything to be okay. And the reality is that you can't. You can if you choose to ignore things, pretend it didn't happen, and that's called avoidance and not actually dealing with it. And thus, nothing changes. But what Jesus is telling us in the resurrection, that life now is different. Fundamentally different. That which was across the horizon has now come forth. And now life has changed. So the question would be, is it better or worse? So uh, we'll get to that. But, um, but even in the Gospel of Mark, maybe this is just a little academic exercise for us, but in the raising of Jairus' daughter is very important for us. Mark chapter 5. We have Jesus who tells Jairus to not be afraid, but believe. Echoing what the young man said to the women, do not be afraid. Um, but when Jesus says that to Jairus, we find out that the disciples are afraid. They're scared, they're astonished, they can't believe all this is happening. Because Jairus' daughter is someone who is dead. Everyone thought she was dead. But what does Jesus say? Well, before that, she's just sleeping. Uh, Which we don't know exactly, is Jesus, is that a true statement? Or is he saying she's, she's sleeping in terms of you know, faith and spiritual, because I'm assuming these people there are intelligent people and normal people, and, you know, they can tell when someone's dead, but anyways. So we have someone risen from the dead within the Gospel of Mark, and their reaction is very similar to Mark 16. So that's good. So what we find out in Mark 16 is, is we should not be too surprised by the, these women's reaction. This is how it's been. Old Testament, and even in the Gospel of Mark itself. But that doesn't really help us much, because if people just stay afraid, then, you know, what's the point of the story? And I think that goes along with, uh, I think I put wrong expectations down. I think I did. Yep. Oh, yeah, this is great. What we find out at the end of the mark is that people fail. Human failure is part of the resurrection story. For all of us who have not failed, this is going to be hard to connect with. But those who have failed and those who have sinned, this is our point of contact. We can enter into and out of the resurrection. This story is not over the horizon anymore. But now we, we can enter into it. We can, we can be part of the resurrection. Because even though human failure is part of the story, God's victory is also part of it. And, um, you know, the other thing too is that, you know, our normal endings might not be normal for, for back then. I mean, that might not be a normal ending, to have a happily ever after. We might say that, so we, we, should have, we shouldn't have false expectations. But what Mark is really doing, though, is, is I think I wrote there, is removing any crutch that we might have in believing Jesus. This story for us is so realistic that we've come to the resurrection and we, we, we don't see Jesus. We base our journey on someone else's word. We don't actually have evidence of his resurrection Like, we don't have people, you know, he's not eating fish, he's not telling people, touch me. We actually don't have any evidence at the end of Mark, except for a word. And that, that for us, is is great, because we don't have Jesus to touch. But we have have a word from somebody. Now, in Mark, which is great, it doesn't matter who it is. You know, it's not like you have to trust the person in order to hear this word. This is someone we don't know. And we're hearing this word, and we're engaging in the testimony. So what Mark is doing is removing any kind of crutch 
for our belief in the resurrection. It's not about the evidence, but it's about the, like the encounter with Jesus. Which is very strange for anybody who studies apologetics. I don't want to get in on that tangent, but Mark is kind of different in that respect. So the intended ending. Now we're to Carol's comment. While human failure is part of the ending, so is divine victory. Mark is not writing for the disciples inside the pages. Okay? Mark is fundamentally concerned with the disciples outside the page. Um, So, he's writing for those people who don't have the chance to touch Jesus, like the apostles. He's writing for those who um, all they have is, is a word, a testimony. And for all of us, we should say, yeah, that's right. That's just like me. So Mark is writing to me. Well, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, every gospel. I mean, that's a general statement that every gospel, that's right. We're, he, they are, he, what Mark is doing for us right now is helping us not, not only understand the point of life, but the beginning point, the starting point. That's where the beginning and the end kind of get, get all muddled up. But the thing is, though, at the end of Mark 16, verse 8, we're we're not left without anything. We're not completely empty. He gives us hints. There's been a a stone rolled away. There's been a a strange man who says he's not here, and he's telling us to go somewhere. And then we have these women. The question is, did they tell the disciples? And did the disciples ever go to Galilee? We can say yes to both of those questions, even though it's not in the Bible, it's not in the book. Because we are sitting here talking about these things. So the story didn't end actually right there, but it continued on, outside the pages. Kirby. Yeah. Right. The, the, um, this is uh, the earliest gospel known. That doesn't mean that, that doesn't actually mean though it was the first one written. Our earliest manuscripts are from the Gospel of Mark, or the papyri. However, the dating—it's not like one was written like in the year fifty, another one was the year one hundred. They're so they're within a decade, basically. Maybe John. There's a there's a question whether that was written late because he you know he died later and all that, but. I, it, we're writing, th- this is all real close to, to each other. Right. Well, and that's why, that's what, I mean, uh, that's exactly right. So the question would be, if it is that, it, it would make sense then if people struggled with endings from the beginning of Christianity, and if Mark was the first one, although it sounds similar to Matthew and Luke, you know, they put their own ending on the story. Luke especially is very different. Right. Well, and, and again, so now we have to ask ourselves, what's, is, what's Mark doing? And I, I, I don't think I talked about that last week, but the Gospels are, are not a, it's not a biography. I mean, we're not, it's not written down. It's not, you know, uh, like our modern understanding of what a biography is. And, so each gospel writes with a very intended purpose. And actually, uh, now that we say, we should probably turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. Well, Mark, the audience for Mark, there's two theories. One is that it's written to the church in Rome. Because Mark, traditionally speaking, is Peter's gospel, and Peter, you know, was uh, you know part of the church in Rome. So Peter spoke his story. Mark wrote it down. 
There's also another little theory that it was, and, and, and it was written to the church in Rome, which was a mixed congregation, Jews and Gentiles. There's another theory, though, that uh, it was written in, for Palestine, so that we had a Palestinian congregation of Jews and Gentiles. The reason why that is, both of those, one of the main reasons is that Mark at the end, especially in Mark 13, he says, you're all going to be brought before governors and councils and you're going to be strung up and you're going to die. Rome, that obviously happened with Nero. In Palestine, that actually happened with who? The Apostle Paul. So both of those series fit, but... um, it's very, yeah, so it's peculiar, which goes to another reason why it's not a nice, neat story. It's a very scary story. Denise? The tomb are different in every gospel. In Matthew, it's an angel, and Luke, it's two guys being dead in one. Right. And in Mark, it's a young man. So right. What's the what, is, what in the world is going on there? There's a, yeah, there's a variety. There's a variety of theories. Uh, one is that um, they all saw the same thing, but interpreted differently. Um, and uh, another one is just the word angel. Does anyone know what literally the word angel means? Messenger, right, exactly. Jesus is an angel, then. So, there's a, there's a kind of a, hey, maybe they didn't mean this divine being, but they meant that this guy carries a, a divine message. So, I don't know why. I, I, to be honest, I don't know why, and I don't think anybody, anybody who pretends to know why. You've got to be a little... That's one of the questions in the little black book that you'll have all the answers to. Right. <laughs> But, I mean, they do serve, the Denise, from a literary perspective, from a storytelling perspective, they do serve to tell the story in a specific way. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's a simple way of understanding. Could they have gone to the tomb at different times? Uh, and then it differently? Probably not, because of the way each story is introduced. I mean, I guess they could have. On the, on the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, the women went here. Um, I, think, I think all of them... Uh, I know in Matthew it starts that way too. So you would, yeah. So probably not, though. Those yeah. Were so freaked out they decided to yeah, maybe their testimony changed. We all know how witnesses are in court. Well, we we we, we don't actually want to say that because that doesn't really help us too much in terms of faith. But um, see, Mark chapter one though, verse one is very important for us because what is unusual in the circumstances that Mark chapter one verse one is a complete sentence. After that, the sentence doesn't end. What that means for us is that Mark 1.1 could be technically a title. So what would be the title of Mark? The beginning of the gospel. So all 16 chapters literally could be the beginning. And I, 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 if I'm going to write a like a research paper and defend a position, that's my that's my position. It actually is a title. I think it's a title. It's and and the entire story is a beginning. The question would be whose beginning? It's not Jesus's beginning. It's it's our beginning. It's the beginning of the gospel, the good news, which for us is, is uh, something much more expansive than just the words on the page. So, when we get to the ending, what does the young man say to us? He says, go to Galilee. And if we remember the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, that's where it all begins. Galilee is the place where it begins. So, what is happening at the end is that the, the young man is sending us back to the beginning. However, even though we're going back to the beginning, we're not reliving. We now, like Carol, the question at the beginning of class is, we've now been enlightened. 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus, now we can start at the beginning and then begin to read the story in a way that we believe and understand. The question is, too, though, is that you've got to go to Galilee to see Jesus, and the only person who's going to make that trip from Jerusalem is what? One who expects to see him. The paralytic, the man with the paralyzed hand, and even uh, Jairus' daughter, belief in, in action or obedience always go together. And the great thing is, is you don't see Jesus before you believe in the Gospel of Mark. You believe and you see Jesus. That is the, the notion of faith. Faith is given and faith enlightens. That goes along with the fact that in Mark 16, there's not a lot of evidence of Jesus' resurrection. There's a word, you believe, you make the trip, and you see, and you know, and you meet Jesus in the resurrection. At Galilee, at the beginning. So, when it comes to the, the, you know, kind of coming back, we, we have to make that journey. We get to make that journey, I should say. We get to make the journey then to Galilee. But it's not by ourselves. Three women make the journey. Eleven men make the journey. As we read the gospel, the gospel is never meant to be read privately. You know, back in the old days, they didn't have their Bibles, right? They had to go to church to actually hear the Bible. So they all heard the story at the same time, and at the end, with the four, the unfinished word or sentence, we all leave church and we're wondering... Now what? Well, like those movies that just have those endings that we just don't feel satisfied about, we've got to talk about them. And we've got we to gotta figure out how we're going to end this story. So are we going to actually make the trip? Are we going to make the trip to, to Galilee? And are we going to do it together? So even though the ending is unresolved, we have hope. Because we're together. And even the ending is unwritten in a sense. We know that the ending is ahead of us, and if we are making the trip together, we will arrive. The thing is, though, is when we arrive to Galilee, what happens? We start the whole thing over again. We, we go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, and we reread it. Um, we don't read it once again. I think I wrote that in there. We don't read it once again, but we reread it. And when we reread it, we come into contact with Jesus in a new way. And when we come into contact with it in a new way, then our life becomes different. It becomes more, and it changes. This is the great thing, though, in terms... Of, so we, we go back, but yet we are different. We go through these circumstances different, knowing that based on what's happened and based with our encounter with the resurrected Jesus through faith, through belief, that we now have the... We're equipped to kind of hang out, to, to receive this message without fear, without terror. And then we see in the story the faith of the minor... From a literary perspective, the minor characters now become part of who we are in our response to faith. So the Gospel of Mark is very... Well, I, I like it. It's, it's, uh, it's very challenging. Cindy? Okay, so Mark is the first Gospel of the Maybe. And then Matthew also is the first Gospel. Right. Okay, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, maybe. There's a bunch of theories. Um... Well, exactly. So the question is, if Mark wrote it first, Matthew felt like it was incomplete and he had to, need to, he had to put a closing on it. The thing is, though, is Matthew's telling, telling, the same, telling the story of Jesus from a very different perspective. Not only do you have a different ending, but holy smokes, you've got a lot of different stories. You have the Beatitudes, right? In Matthew, you have the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have that in Mark. So really, it, 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 that's not... 
Um, yeah, the Great Commission is, is important. And actually, we're going to talk about Matthew next week. But um, is that uh, we? I, I don't. I don't. I, I think they were all using very similar accounts. Obviously, whether Matthew was used and Mark said, "You know what? I don't want to tell it that way. I want to take things out because I want to tell this this story for these people because they need to hear this word." I think actually we've all experienced this, right? We probably all have our favorite gospel. And the reason why we, we have our favorite gospel is because that gospel speaks to us in a very specific way. It's not as if we, you know, we don't like the other I mean, we, you know, we wanna, are repulsed by the other ones. It's the same thing. These are the gospel writers. The gospel writers are writing something very specific for you know, certain people. So, yeah, I mean, whether Mark wrote it first and Matthew just wanted to put an ending on it, or Matthew wrote it first and Mark decided, I don't want to end it that way, I want to end it in this peculiar way, I don't know. It, it, in my seminary, I had, I had to answer certain questions appropriately. I would have liked to have just simply said, I don't think it matters. <laughs> but New Testament isagogics. Now, I, I, that sounds kind of anti-intellectual, but it, it, um, those are very academic, interesting questions. But I think fundamentally it's just, it just boils down to the fact that these writers, storytellers, want to tell a specific story. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They had to have. Nobody would have shown up, and we would not be here today, especially if Mark was the first gospel. Yeah, they did. They did, because, but it's not in the page. So that's a statement of faith. We can't prove it using the gospel of Mark. But we can prove it, and we can, we can prove it based on our existence here, now. That's so important. Um, because as people in today who don't know the Bible... You can talk about the resurrection stories, but that's not going to compute with them. Your existence will compute with them. I mean, you're the, 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 you're the, the living faith. You're, you're the one who made the trip to Galilee and said, yeah, I've seen Jesus, and this has radically changed my faith. This has changed my world. Something over the horizon of human existence has brought itself forth, illuminated uh, me, my mind, and now has has brought a whole new life. Yeah, I would have been okay with Mark being the old writer. I think it's just so realistic. This is so much like our faith, our life. First of all, too, uh, how does the story? I mean, this is another interesting little thing about the Gospel of Mark. It's it starts with a baptism. How does your Christian faith begin? Yeah, it doesn't begin with a, a virgin birth. That's not downplaying the virgin birth. That's just the, the uplifting of your baptismal faith. Um, so, again, I, Donna, you've got to really work hard to not impose the other Gospels on, on the, this Mark, Gospel of Mark, because if you do, you, you discount. This is why nobody liked Mark for centuries. Because I mean, literally, the early church, you don't have a lot of people talking about Mark. Which is very interesting because it's the first first Bible, first book, the first gospel, one of the first New Testament books, even. And you don't have a lot of people in the early church writing about Mark. I think it's hilarious. Ton on John. Oh, every church father writes about John. And Matthew, mainly the Sermon on the Mount, but you you barely have Mark. <laughs> so I think this is this is a great thing. All right, um, I, I you know. I'm sure I wrote a lot of really cool stuff in here, so we go ahead and go home and read it. Um, actually, the last thing, and then we'll be done. Mark 16, 1-8 tells us that Jesus is not ashamed of his disciples. This is great. I like that, because the disciples are completely worthless, unfaithful, completely disbelieving, but Jesus is not ashamed of them. I mean, talk about love, man. It's not simply an announcement of the resurrection, and that's so, that's so awesome, but a pronouncement of forgiveness. The resurrection allows forgiveness to happen. 
The end coming to the begin. Oh, so yeah, the, there's a typo in here that should have read. We read that. Okay, the the end coming to the beginning is an invitation to reread the gospel, not read it once more, but again and again, each time receiving new insights into this, his story. All right. All right. Any other questions? Carols. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was like a yeah like an assistant to Peter, disciple Peter. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, right, like in the in this, the Gospel of John, you mean, like verses of the Gospel of John, that's right. Right. Well, and that, that's actually a very, very peculiar thing, is that, I you know, I do believe this is Peter's Gospel, but Peter has a, t- like, his image in that Gospel is, is pretty bad. You, I mean, you would think human nature, you know, kind of soften the edges on some of the th- mistakes that he's made. But he keeps them intact. And, uh, and then, um, yeah, so you would think that, because all the other Gospels have something interesting to say about Peter, but Mark, Peter's Gospel, doesn't. Right. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one way to interpret it. Yeah, exactly. Carol Heidorn. Right. That's right. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what Carol is saying is interesting because we're content with not having the end of the story a lot of times in our life. Yeah. Which you know that's that's great because uh, you know as Christians we live we live in hope and we live in in faith too. That which is goes back to the actually the Gospel of John where Jesus says, "Blessed are those who have." not seen, but believe, um, is that, you know, we don't always have to have this tight conclusion in order to, to, to make it through the end of the day. Um, you know, and as we think about the events here at St. John, I think this is all very important for us to contemplate. Very important. So you can reread it if you haven't been thinking about that the entire time. Um, other things. Oh, next week, if I uh, I will show an ending of this movie. It's called The Sun. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a Flemish movie. And uh, so, if you guys want to go rent it, you can. But the ending is like the Gospel of Mark. I don't know. I did check the library, but I, it wasn't there. But the library has some nice. They have a, they have a lot of great foreign films. Like they're like uh, like all like the high quality ones. Not all of them, it's not, most of them. Um, and I don't think the, f- the sun is there. It could be, a th- it's called, the, well, what would that be in French or whatever? Le Fee. Le Fee. S-O-N. S-O-N. Le Fee. Fils. Le Fils. That's how I would say it. Le Fee. Well, what's Fee mean? Boy. Boy. I guess it means the boy technically, but in English it's the sun. The boy, I guess. Well, I, I think it's French. The, the, yeah, the language spoken. Yes, thank you, Nancy, that's right. Um, if you do happen to watch it, remember it is a... Remember this about the movie. You struggle against it. It's... Uh, the story is about a, I'll tell you this, it's about a tech teacher, it's a high school, uh, it would be like junior high, it, it's a, you know, the, the schooling's different in Europe. This would be a trade school, and he, he does carpentry. And he has a boy, that at first you don't know exactly what is going on, and you see this man, he's very creepy. But I'm telling you this now so that you don't turn it off. You think that this guy has very strange obsession with this boy, and you're thinking, not good thoughts. But about almost halfway through, you find out that this boy is the boy who killed his son. And the, guy just, he, the boy just got out of juvenile detention. And the guy actually asked to have the boy in his class. And because of the death of the son, this man and his wife have been divorced. And the wife finds out that this boy is in his class, and they have a very unusual encounter. 
Matthew chapter 6 talks about how the left hand doesn't know what the right hand does, or the right hand not knowing what the left hand does. That's an image in this encounter because the woman just can't figure out why in the world he's doing this. And guess what he says? I don't know. He literally does not know, but he must do it. So that's a great, I mean, that's, that's grace. I mean, that is uncalculated, undeserved kindness. That is grace through and through. It's not a tit for tat. Hey, if I show kindness to this boy, he's going to like me. People are going to think well of me. There's, there's, I mean, this is outside the realm of transaction. This is pure grace. Not even knowledge. Um, and then at the very end of the movie, they're out in the woods picking up some lumber. And he, uh, all of a sudden, you, you know, you're not really, you're not sure exactly where the story's going. And all of a sudden, he just stops and says, the boy you killed was my son. That's all he said. He didn't say, you know, remember we were talking about, they just blurts it out. And the boy looks at him. And they look at each other. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the boy takes off running. And he says, come back, don't be afraid. Chases him. Tackles him. And there's this kind of weird struggle. You don't know if he's going to kill him or not. And then he just, he tackles him. And like he's, it's very, it's like strange. Like he's just showing some anger. It's not like he's choking him or pounding him or anything. And then he just gets up and he walks away. And the, and he goes back to what he was doing. He was putting lumber into this trailer, and the boy's not around. The boy shows up. They look at each other, and it's a great, great image of like faces and like looks, and you're wondering what's happening. It's all quiet, by the way. That's why it's hard to watch because it's quiet. And. And the dad doesn't even, or the, the man doesn't know what he's doing. And the boy doesn't know what to do, but he knows that they need to be together. Or you think. And they start putting wood on the, on the trailer, and they're just in the middle of, t- like they're about to tie something up, and then it just stops. You're like, what? I mean, it's not like they tied a knot, you know, and like the knot symboled, you know, symbolized their... St- it's nothing. It's just they're just wrapping up in plastic. It's done. Um, so that's... It, we'll, we'll take a look at that. That's the Gospel of Mark in a movie. Great story, though. Very powerful. Uh, it's, it's hard to watch, though, because there's a lot of silence. You're left wondering what's going through this man's mind. And that's intentional. I mean, great movie-making. Because it forces you to enter into the mind of the man. You can't be entertained by it. You have to be engaged by it. So, Okay, never mind. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.